how do you get to this place of being able to build trust when it has been broken? Like at the end of the day, who's going to make me feel safe is me. And so I had to restore that connection with myself. We have to do that work. Um, and then we can start to approach everything around us from a new space. You can't go any deeper with another person than you've been willing to go with yourself. Intimacy can be broken down into three words, into me, see. Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. My mission is to help you crush your self-limiting beliefs and embrace being unapologetically you. The Born Unbreakable podcast brings you inspirational stories from all over the world that will empower you to unlock your unbreakable spirit. I'd love to partner with you on your next breakthrough. Go to bornunbreakable.com to schedule a free transformational call. Action begins today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, and we are at episode 151. What a journey it's been, and I'm really excited for today's guest and today's topic and where this conversation is going to go. I have Melissa Keenan with me, and she has a title that I really fell in love with, because it's kind of provocative and I just sunk my teeth into, into what she does and her story. And I was just so compelled by it. I was like, Ooh, this is the epitome of born unbreakable. So Melissa is an intimacy coach and I'm going to let her tell her story, but I just want to, um, start with thanking her because the reason I had such an attraction to her as a guest is because of her vulnerability, you know, before, uh, hitting record to do this interview, Melissa and I were talking about how when you come into a self-development space, there is this, this sensation of being an expert and wanting to be perfect in the way that we portray our knowledge about something. But I think it's in the pain, the struggle that got us to a place to be able to teach and help people that is the most relatable. So I just want to thank her for her vulnerability and thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Well, so, you know, I've talked about falling in love with your story. So we have to start with that because before you got to this place of helping people with intimacy, whether it's in their business or their personal relationships or both, I imagine it's difficult to just separate the two things. You had experience seeing your parents in a certain light and then also had faced some challenges in your own personal relationship and marriage that has taught you quite a bit. So I'd love for you to start with sharing your personal story. Yeah, absolutely. And it probably honestly goes back even a little bit further than my parents because um, my ancestry on either side is like laden with pain in romantic relationships, um, adultery, and um, gosh, you know, one of my grandmothers raised um, cousins that her husband left her and she still raised his like his uh, nieces and nephews like just crazy stuff um including 
you know, incest and including abuse and all kinds of everything you could imagine is in my ancestry. And so, um, so you can imagine growing up, I have been very much like on guard with men, very like, like I can remember as a kid being super obsessed with wanting like a boyfriend and stuff because of, you know, media and culture. Like I, I was so into like nineties R and B and stuff. I wanted a boyfriend. Hi. Welcome to my world. Melissa yes. and I are living the same the same life. <laughs> but at the same time, I couldn't even speak to them. Like I, I couldn't even speak. Um yes, and and then I did, you know, see painful things and have some painful experiences myself. And so it was scary. Um, and then my parents. So then, you know, you bring me to the point of I'm about nine years old and my mom started to get really sick and uh, she stopped being able to go to work. And eventually she filed for disability um, was like completely unable to work. And my, um, often I would come home and just find her passed out on the couch. Um, so I stopped wanting to bring friends home and stuff like that because it was embarrassing. And my, um, this was my per perception of what had happened. Right. And so eventually my dad got tired of this and divorced her. This is my perception. Well, the reality when you're an adult and you look back, actually my dad also had an affair and he also had a drug addiction um, that according to my mom was um, kind of secret to her. She didn't really know. And I remember them fighting a lot about where's all the money. He ran his own refrigeration business and it was always like, they were always screaming about money. Where's all the money? Like, where has it gone? And I think it's because he was both doing drugs and dealing drugs. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening in my upbringing. And so eventually my parents divorced and my mom, you know, had no resources to deal with what she was going through, both her health and now her marriage crumbling. And she had, uh, she, I know she had betrayal trauma, but that term has only come about in the last 10, 15 years, betrayal trauma, which is really PTSD from the betrayal you experienced in your partnership. And so she, in my experience of her as a child, it was like, she went nuts. She was just crazy. You never knew what she was going to do or how she was going to be. She became physically violent, definitely emotionally abusive and stuff. And so my, um, that we were back and forth in court all the time. I was in court all the time with my parents until I was 12 years old and my mom had gone too far and my dad won custody of me in court. And then two weeks later, he woke up in the middle of the night and his stomach was extended out like a foot. Like he looked pregnant and we were so scared and he was in so much pain and we rushed him to the hospital and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. <laughs> which always makes me cry. I can't talk about my dad without crying. <laughs> so he had literally just 
won custody of me and it was like we're gonna start a new life he had gone through all kinds of you know rehabilitation through the divorce he went to a christian rehab center we got baptized into a church together all this stuff and it was like we're gonna start a new life together and then it was like no you're not actually like his time on this earth is done um it was so devastating so um i moved in with my aunt and uncle and i tried to live with my mom again with, on a ranch with your cousins and all the animals yes yes um yeah the story gets really deep doesn't it um so take heart if you're listening take some deep breaths <laughs> It's funny. We just had an episode on stress management, so people learned how to breathe, and now they can apply what they've learned in this practice their breathing. It's funny having lived it because it took me most of my twenties to realize how intense my upbringing was. You know, when you live it, you're just like, "Well, this was my life. I lived it." You know, and it's not until you get other people's reactions that you realize. And, and some maturity that you're like, oh, wait, like this was not like a normal upbringing. <sighs> yes. So, so yes, I grew up with my aunt and uncle and, you know, fast forward then into my own um, college years. I joined a church. I all through high school, I was like, I'm probably going to just be a career woman and I'm not going to have a family. Like, hello, that makes a lot of sense given my circumstances in my childhood. And, but I joined a, a church when I was 18 and a huge tenant in that faith is family. And it just got me really thinking like, maybe my family was so broken because we just didn't really have like the right tools or something like, you know, maybe if we had the safety and security of like this faith and a community and like, you know, living by different commandments and morals and principles that were missing from my upbringing, like maybe I could have a better chance at love and even potentially motherhood. You know, it's funny because when I met my husband, we met in a calculus class in college and our first date, he told me he wanted nine children. And I was like, literally thinking, I was thinking maybe we would negotiate on like a half a child. <laughs> <laughs> Who says that on a first date? <laughs> yeah. Well, talk about putting it all out there. <gasps> putting it all out there. <laughs> so really that was, I always say that was my only red flag on our first date. I was just thinking, we'll have to negotiate that one later. I never would have imagined I would have four kids. I have four kids right now. Yes. Um, so, so anyway, you know, we crashed into love, like with such open hearts, like I had regained this naivety and hopefulness like a child again. And it felt so good to like, let go of all the pretenses and, you know, um, defenses and stuff. But then once we got married and I've seen this happen with clients too, once we got married, my whole heart walls, everything just came up and I was terrified. And then add to that, we got pregnant right away. So then I'm like, now we're going to put this little child that's so vulnerable. And now I'm responsible for this child and the, like happiness in this marriage and like 
it was so intense. I was like traumatized constantly because I hadn't dealt with any of the stuff that had happened in my childhood. I thought I was over it, air quotes, because there's no such thing. <laughs> Ever. There's no such thing. It's a process. <gasps> yes. So I was just so um, scared just so, so scared. And that led to depression. I thought I had postpartum. I probably did, but I think it was more complex and um, just struggled so much. And I wanted to micromanage every single thing my husband did because at the core of it, I didn't know if I could trust him because I had never really met a man that I could trust. My dad had an affair on, on my mom. His dad had an affair on my grandma. Um, my other grandpa molested his children. Like literally it was just like, how can I actually look at you and say, you're going to be any different? So five years into our marriage, my husband came forward and let me know that he had had a secret addiction his whole life since he was nine years old. He was addicted to pornography and it was something I knew absolutely nothing about. In fact, when he first told me, I was so naive and had my head buried in the sand so much to all this stuff that I like didn't really even know <laughs> like the videos and all the like, I really didn't know. Like I was like, okay, so you look at like some big Victoria's Secret magazines or something like <laughs> oh my gosh the innocence yes so um over the course of the next eight months or so really understanding the scope of what this is yeah um the depth that he had gone to lie to me to cover his tracks like all of the things and what all was involved and where this came from and what does this mean about him and now is he the devil like Oh man, there was so much. And I was diagnosed with PTSD, just like my mom should have been. I at least had resources that my mom didn't have um, in the thick of the betrayal trauma. And my husband and I ultimately separated for six months. We had three kids, three little babies in diapers, um, like, cause they were four, two and two months old. And it was so intense. I was like, um, really didn't know if I was going to make it through all of that. Wow. <laughs> that is a lot. That is, yeah. you know, so much collectively. Well, and, and to me, like what I envision is this buildup. It's kind of like a volcano because you've got all of this history that you witnessed and felt and observed and lived with your parents you know, learning also what happened prior to them in your ancestry. And then yeah. you're here in your own personal, loving, intimate relationship, experiencing something that is also feeling foreign to you. It's like stacking, all this yeah. stacking. And now you're like, okay, so there's the porn. What do we do with this? And I think it's understandable that taking a break when you're filled with all of this stuff that you're trying to process seems like a natural thing to do. Yeah. So you take the break and six months is a long time. Like if anybody is listening right now and you're in a relationship and you have children that are little, being separate from your partner 
for even six hours feels like a long time when you're trying to do this whole partner thing, right? So six months, feeling like an eternity, what did you do in that six months? And then what brought you to your decision after you got through the six months? Um, we didn't even know for sure, like how long it would last. And, and ultimately, um, what led to that was he had come to me about a month prior and said, and he was actually at this point, the reason he came forward and told me about his addiction was because he was ready to work on it. So actually this was all a good sign, but I couldn't rejoice with him. (laughs) I was like, um, sorry, uh, no, like you lied this whole time. So to me, what felt like the most devastating thing was actually him like healing him, like actually seeking support. And so he was doing 12 step addiction recovery programs and things like that. And he had come forward and told me about a month prior, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. Him even saying that I was still like peeling off my rosy colored glasses and going, Oh crap, this means you lied to me. Like how much if you have to come forward and promise and like, it just was so like earth shattering for me. Um, and then I caught him in a lie. I caught him in another lie about his addiction. And it was just like, no, like everything in my soul was like, my life will not be like my ancestors. I have done too much. I have worked too hard. And so it, what was so horrible about this, man, it was so painful. And now my husband and I, like, can we talk about this with such tenderness? Um, you know, and I don't share any of the details about my husband's life or anything without his permission. Like we've talked a lot about what we can share. And, you know, he always just says, if it will help people, we can share. It's fine. You can share, which is so sweet. Um, but we, when that knowing came into me, like I cannot live like this anymore. It was his birthday. And I was like, okay, God, like I'm a big prayer. And I'm like, okay, show me like, what am I supposed to do? Um, like, can't it just wait until tomorrow? And this answer didn't come from God. It came from in me. And it said, absolutely friggin' not like, no, I can't do this anymore. You know, you know, that feeling and it's like a, it's like a sacred rage. It's like a thing in you that says, like, I will not tolerate this behavior. I will not tolerate being treated this way. And so I knew I was shaking. We were supposed to be leaving for a dinner date. And instead I was like, can you stop by this park? Cause we need to talk. And I was like pale. And I remember my fingers were freezing cold. I had like no circulation in my body. And I told him, you need to move out. And he's like, okay. Like, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, what do you like? He's like, I can start looking for a place if that's what you really want. And I was like, no, you need to go tonight. And that's how we separated. Oh, so devastating. It's funny how timing happens in the way that it does, man, sucked so bad. Um, but he did, 
I was like, no, no, I mean tonight. And we got back home and I'm like, no, like now. And it was just very, and I hadn't been, I had been bossy, but I hadn't been like that before. Um, so he, he slept on his dad's couch for those six months, actually. Um, yeah, it was very intense. And, and, and I look back now, this was all in 2013. So about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I look back now and I, part of me feels like a sadness because that was his darkest hour. Those six months were the hardest time of his life. Like he was fighting tooth and nail to overcome an addiction. And listeners may not realize pornography is an addiction. Like researchers have compared it to meth, the way that your brain gets hooked to it. But it's kind of like a food addiction in the sense that like you can't just get it to go away or you can't just whack things off, right? Like it's this whole like interwoven messy thing that you have to like peel the layers back to find the truth and the core and be with yourself as a sexual being and, you know, be with your desires and all of that while eliminating the things that were actually rotting away your soul. Like it is hard. And it's he like, did just yeah. like, you know, the process that people have to go through. Yeah. When they are working through something and fighting for something. Yeah. Right. That's bigger than you. There's you as this vessel on this earth trying to be someone of purpose and value and contribution. And then there is an entity that you're attempting to build. And, you know, there's this preservation, I think, especially when it comes to a family unit that I think anyone can relate whatever struggles, you know, people might be having in a relationship because it's real. I, I, I haven't heard any relationship that has lasted for several years where there is just no hiccups like that. Yes, exactly. It doesn't exist, right? There's, <clears throat> there's always something that we have to face. And so he's on his dad's couch for six months. Yeah. How did he get off that couch and back? It's crazy because even, even when we made the decision for him to move back in, like I had finally seen his spirit soften and he stopped like addiction behavior typically makes people act in um, ways that aren't actually characteristic to them, like narcissistic type behaviors. My husband at his core is not a narcissist and is incapable of being a narcissist. He feels everything. He is so tender and sweet, but he would act in narcissistic ways. He would blame me for like his behaviors or just, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And I really watched his heart like soften and really own his responsibility for his side of the part of our relationship that, you know, he had co-created with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I felt like I really made the decision out of haste. It was just like a heat of the moment. Like oh, you're like, I see you again. There you are, <laughs> you know, like move back in. And it was another two and a half years of difficulty before I think either of us really felt like this marriage is going to last. This marriage is going to be the marriage. And um, before, because we would try to come back together mm -hmm. and 
we would, you know, get closer and closer and then we would crash like a huge crash, you know, just fighting and neither of us knew how to communicate. There was so much learning happening during this time that then we'd have to just go back to our own lane and work on ourselves again, go back to our own lane. And this is where, you know, in, in my darkness and why I couldn't be there for him because I literally was still traumatized from my whole entire upbringing. This is where I really had to like come to Jesus in myself. Mm -hmm. Like really, you know, how did I contribute to the misery in this marriage and how have I contributed to my own personal misery in general? Um, and this is where I really felt led to understanding principles of the feminine, understanding vulnerability, understanding um, the core of who I am, which was so not attached to what I could do or accomplish or, or achieve, which I thought it was before that. Um, so I felt like I look back on this time now and I'm like, this was the biggest gift because it broke me wide open. And I, I remember just like kind of going to God after while we were separated and just going, I don't have any answers. Like, I thought I had it all figured out. I have no answers. Show me. And it felt like God was like, finally, now I can show you who you really are, which seemed like the strangest answer in the midst of like the biggest <laughs> storm, the biggest crap show that we could be in, you know, it was yeah. like, show me who I am. But we did. Um, and, and so it was about two and a half years after he moved back in. Yeah. Um, that we finally, I remember the moment so poignantly. They were sitting on my um, bed and there was nothing interesting happening. He was getting ready for work that day. And I was just watching him and it just hit me like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. And like this connection that we feel this is different than I even knew existed. I had no idea this was possible. And, and just in that same moment, it was like, women need to know. That was like my whole soul. Was this like, is an epiphany. This is an awakening. And here's what I find so interesting. And this is why I'm so attracted to this story because I want people to know how messy <laughs> it really is like we have this notion somehow that things happen in this sequential order of perfection, which is total crap because you're having this epiphany, mind you, one, two, three children later. You know what I mean? Like most people are like, oh, you figure all this stuff out and then you go and then you have the kids and all the things, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you were already a mom, you were both parents, you were trying to figure these things out, these things out. And so, you know, what was different in your intimacy, giving yourselves the second chance to work at your marriage than before? Mm, I love that question. I think that the, I felt this quality of connection that I had never experienced with another person. And, you know, it's funny because it actually has taken me, it took me years after that to break down why, 
like we did so many programs, so many therapists that we saw and um, addiction recovery programs. And I mean, we were at meetings sometimes like daily. Uh, there were different programs and things that we did that sometimes required like so much of us. And it was like, what out of this actually really benefited, you know? Um, and certainly now at this point, you know, I'm certified in all kinds of stuff and I've pulled together the, the different parts and pieces. But if I really strip it all down to its core, I don't talk about this very much because it's not sexy at all. People are like, no, don't tell me that. It was honesty. It was brutal honesty is what made the biggest difference. Like we sat down and if I could pinpoint like one pivotal moment where it was like truly a hinge point for us was we sat down with these things called inventories and there's a process that in the 12 steps every 12 step um program has some form of inventory where you basically go through and write down every horrible thing you've ever done or thought or anything this is agonizing yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and particularly because we knew we were going to uh, share parts of this with each other, you know, it was done, it was done with a professional and stuff like that. Um, so that there were parts, it was like, do you, do you not need to share that part? Maybe you don't like, you know, there was a lot of, of like preparation work that went into it. But I mean, at this point now we know everything, everything. That really honest connection. I mean, and that, you know, I probably should have taken a step back to, for us to define that a little bit, right? Because people think intimacy, like what is, what does that really mean? Is that like romantic intimacy where you're like that body connection when you're thinking about sex? Because a lot of times that's where what we yeah. think is intimacy is when you get to that point when you, you're ready to be sexual with someone. And I think that in learning about what you do, that's certainly an aspect, right? Because everybody enjoys that. Um, well, I think that could be an assumption. Um, but I, I believe that intimacy is more expansive than that. And it hits on exactly what you just said, which is honesty. When you have that bare naked emotion that is raw and real, and it's not, you're not thinking about how is the person going to respond to this? You're yeah. just letting it land and allowing what is to be. And I think so often, and this is what I find very interesting because now we're in a dating world where you can just go online and it's like, yeah, every, I mean, hinge and bumble and match and what, I don't know, all the millions of probably options that you could go to. And when people are dating, it's all about putting your best foot forward, right? Um, in all the categories, you're, you're putting your effort into your looks. You're putting your effort into your showing up as your best self. You're polished. You're put together, but it's always after time, right? Where you see what the real deal is. What are people's habits? How do they behave under stress? under pressure, when things, you know, are falling apart, when there's trauma, you know, that is when you get to see the whole picture. And that's, the, and that's the part that is, is the work, right? And so it's not just the, oh, this is so fun. 
I'm so attracted to you. We just had so many wonderful dates because, you know, real life is all the hard stuff, you know? You know, and I, I, I feel like I have shifted my perspective, perspective on that a bit um, because real to me used to mean all the hard stuff and deep connection used to mean hard work. But now, I mean, again, that whole trauma was 10 years ago. Like we are well into like a seasoned version of this new foundation that we laid for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to feel like work. It just has to feel real. Now, it feels like work to us because we live in a society that doesn't feel real. People don't show up with all of themselves that like everything we do is to like cut off our emotions and what is going to put me into high productivity. Like high productivity is prized above all other things. And it's literally just saying, can we even put that as equal with connection, please? Like, or, you know, if connection just come up on the list a little (laughs) in priority, right? Um, So it doesn't really have to feel like work. And I, I don't know if my husband would describe our relationship as work as much as like, um, because it becomes life giving. It's like, oh, there's this boon that we can crawl into with each other where it's like, man, yeah, this is what's up for me. Yeah, this is what's up for me. And then we can like be in joy together about it. We can be in sadness together about it. We can be in vulnerability together about it. And then we come back out and like emerge from our little like cocoon. And now, you know, our kids are all a part of that sweet, like our home just feels like a haven. And then we can crawl out of that and go and like, okay, serve and whatever we need to do. But it's just a willingness to get real. So at first that does feel like work because like everything from the time that you're two and your parents are saying, you're fine, stop crying, you're fine, to to now, you know, where it's like you cry in your corporate job and people are going to say you have mental health issues. Like it's real, right? And so to, <laughs> to reconnect with that part of yourself, that can feel like work. But once you've done that, it's yeah. such a sweetness because now it's like, me and you know and my openness and my husband and his openness and our marriage is the sweetest part of our life the connection there even if it means hard conversations even if it means that i'm like why are you doing that <laughs> or vice versa you know thinking yeah I, I want, we're not on the same page right now yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. now here's a question for you because this is one i believe that is it could potentially be this ubiquitous struggle because I don't know that I've met one person that hasn't been challenged by this at one point. And in particular, women. Trust. This issue of trust for, you know, and it is this buildup because A, it's things that you've seen that, that plants a seed of distrust in you it's not even your relationships yet. It's just ones that you've observed. And then you go out and seek your own. And then now it's, it's even, it's, it's that much closer to you. And if anybody has gone through any sort of betrayal in some type of way, whether it's infidelity or just lies or whatever that looks like, 
what is that recovery? Because that's usually this, this crossroad in many relationships where when trust has been broken so bad, it's many people feel like this, there's a point of no return. It's yeah. like, I can't even fathom another minute with you because you have gone so far beyond breaking me down to this point that I, you know, I'm unable to continue with you. But like I said, it's a crossroads, so you can do that or you can go, I'm upset. Yeah. But I do want to figure this out. And it is a choice. How do you get to this place of being able to build trust when it has been broken? Yeah, so huge. And I love that you brought this up because it is so prevalent. I remember um, lots of women that I had surrounded myself with didn't know what I had been through. And I would uh, go to this workout group and I remember these women getting together and uh, they were talking about somebody's sister who had just had um, uh, adultery in her in her marriage. Her husband had cheated on her. And, you know, the consensus in the room was very much like, there is no way. I would not tolerate that. I would not stay. And it was eating me alive inside because I think at this point, maybe we were a year into having moved back in together. So there wasn't a whole lot of reason to tell people like, well, actually, our marriage may not survive. Like we're building back from this, like right now. Um, and but I was dying inside listening to them. And ultimately, I just said I couldn't keep quiet anymore. And I just said, you know what? I think that you don't know what you would do until you find yourself in that situation. And then they all kind of were like, mm, I guess you're right. And. <laughs> <laughs> but we carry this and it is because of our ancestry. Like the women haven't been um, respected no matter what culture you're from, right? Uh, almost across the globe, the women haven't been respected. So literally this is in our DNA, this distrust. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, and, and, and then you add to the fact that like, okay, now I'm in a partnership with someone who literally proved that they're superhuman. And then what am I supposed to do with that? And um, ultimately the biggest, I think, um, uh, wound that we really need to heal is that our whole life we've been taught not to trust ourselves. So, you know, again, back to like, why do I have these feelings? Why do I have these desires? You know, I followed this desire or I thought this was my intuition telling me to go down this route. It led to tons of pain, all those kinds of things. Then we create more and more distrust with ourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I really had to face in my marriage. I had to face that there was no way I could ever trust him until I learned to trust myself. And I had to begin to build that. And then like being in a relationship with someone who's human became less scary because I don't look to my husband for safety. Like heaven, you know, heaven forbid, I'm not out there inviting him to go run around on me or anything like that or drop balls or not, you know, not be a provider or not be the father to my children or, you know, whatever. Like it's not that, but it's like at the end of the day, who's going to make me feel safe is me. 
And so I had to restore that connection with myself. We have to do that work. Um, and then we can start to approach everything around us from a new space. I mean, I ultimately realized I didn't even really trust the universe. Like I didn't really trust the whole experience of life. I kind of felt like it was out to get me and I had to shift that too. That one, you know, we're, I'm still in that one. I'm still like every day, like, oh, whoopsies, there I am again saying like, of course this happened to me, right? Yeah. How often do we say that one? Like, oh, of course. And yeah. What does that really mean? It means I believe that the universe is out to get me. And my life will never be beautiful or easeful or joyful or what I want. It'll always be a struggle. So as long as we carry that, we co-create with that. You do. And you bring in that. That's why I have an alarm that says the universe supports me because I have to have that energy and believe it. And it needs to be consistent and it needs to be lived on a daily basis for that to be my reality, right? Because we create the reality that we live in, whether whether it's distrust or it's belief and faith, you know, in yourself and in other people. But you know, you're you're absolutely right. I think putting the energy into ourselves sometimes is that hardest decision to make. You know, I um, have been reflecting on this notion and did this episode on letting go of our past identities because there's an attachment and it comes from our upbringing and what we've been taught and what we've been told. And there's somehow, I think as you get to this place of evolution and maturity, almost like a cleansing <laughs> experience that you have to do with things that don't serve you because you're at a, you know, you're at a, point in your life where you're trying to create this capacity to let love in, to let hope in, to let trust in. But when you're full of all this trauma and all these stories, there's no room for anything else to enter in there, right? So it's like, how do you create the capacity to, to listen, to learn, to love, you know, and, and to have that safety of honesty, you know, be there. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate the candor of you, you know, talking about the arc of your story because it was this, you know, not this perfect line. It was a little bit more like a roller coaster. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Intimacy, when you have someone come to you, whether it's them coming as an individual or a couple, how do you start in your work with people when they're wanting to attract greater intimacy, greater connection, greater honesty, greater vulnerability? Uh, it's really simple. We just start with their desires, which actually, maybe I shouldn't say it's simple. It's simple for me. It's often not very simple for the client. Um, typically, again, as part of this distrusting ourselves, we learn to distrust our desires because they, they didn't happen, especially in a partnership. Um, I'll have women come to me who it's like, well, you know, for example, I really wanted that deeper connection with my husband, 
that um, was beyond sex. Like I wanted emotional connection, spiritual connection, that tenderness. I wanted to get the sense that he really values me as a person. But after being hurt multiple times and seeing that it seems like he's incapable of that or has no desire to do that, then we just let that desire die. Um, yes. It, it's yeah, so tragic. Yeah, it's so sad. And and then we do things like take all that energy and pour it into our business or pour it into perfecting something mm -hmm. and typically really frustrating ourselves in the process because it's not actually what we want. The thing we're going after isn't actually what we want. What we wanted was deeper connection in our partnership. So I bring women in and it's like, can we find what is that desire? Where did it die? Tell me about that. Like what, where can we bring that desire forward again? And then how can we support you to do everything in your power to meet that desire for yourself, to call in that desire, to believe that it's possible. And then maybe even start communication with your husband again about what it is that you want. Cause so often it's like, yeah, but think about how you went about that. You know, you were whining and nagging the whole time. Would you want to connect with you that way? Like, that's the reality. You know, we have to just look at like, oh, yeah, none of us were given the skills and tools to know how to be in deeply committed and connected relationships. We just don't have them. We are uh, inadequate <laughs> in our tools and our resources. We are. So you got to look at that and go, oh, wait a second like maybe there's a better way and maybe that's actually where we got hung up like you know maybe he just felt so criticized that he couldn't bring forward the tenderness that was the case in my marriage i was micromanaging my husband like crazy you know um how could he really see me as i was um and why would he ever feel safe enough to actually be vulnerable with me in return if my husband would share a vulnerability with me and i would tell him ways to fix it like women are just as much fixers as men <laughs> we really are yeah so it's usually it's not too difficult actually once we can get her back into her heart's desire and bring it forward it's typically not too difficult to bring her back into harmony with that and and then you know it's like if he's a good man and he's stayed in the marriage and he's you know a committed father or he's a committed husband or whatever he's like oh i see yeah okay like they have this resilient spirit yeah. there's glimmers of hope there no <laughs> Yes. And you know, one of one of the things that I want to mention, because this is these are terms that are used. I don't know that their essence is necessarily discussed in a way that people really understand it. When you say <clears throat> feminine energy and masculine energy, what does that mean? Like when we're working on those things, whether you're doing it as an individual or in a relationship, what does progress in those areas look like with those energies it matters so much and i'm really glad you asked because there's actually a lot of um poor teaching around this when you initially start to really search out what is feminine energy um typically women are out of balance and we have more masculine energy than what feels like it's in alignment for us and so we start searching out 
oh, well, what is feminine energy and how do I incorporate it more? Especially in the dating world, the advice is so toxic. It's like, you know, these are your feminine hobbies and this is how you talk to a man in a feminine way. And some of these things that are like really trying to still shove women into boxes and, uh, and it's devastating. And typically most of what is taught there is in the realm of cultural feminine feminine energy or cultural femininity. So it's important to know the distinction between cultural masculine and feminine versus masculine and feminine energy. Those are two different things. The cultural stuff is going to be different based on what your culture is. Like every culture is different. And so you may have been raised watching your mom be a homemaker and think that that's what it means to be feminine. Even though she was so busy doing all the time, she was probably slightly out of balance in masculine energy. Or you may have been raised, um, you know, uh, watching your mom primp and get Botox and, um, you know, some of these things you may think that's what it means to be feminine. Um, I always say, ask yourself, what does it mean to be a good woman? Air quotes, good woman, because it's kind of a toxic phrase, honestly. But what, what were you raised to believe or what did you see and think that it meant to be a good woman? And then you can sort of start to dissect like, well, okay, now that I am a woman, like which of these do I actually align with and which ones can I just be done with, you know? Yeah. So that's our cultural feminine side. And again, especially in, in the dating world, it's like, man, I would just, I would be careful. you got to go in there with your discernment on, your intuition like dialed up because there's some toxic stuff out there. But um, when we talk about masculine and feminine energy, there's masculine and feminine energy in all human beings, different variations and different times and seasons call for different aspects of our masculine and feminine energy. But, um, but typically, again, women today are more out of balance in masculine energy because we are trying to like fight back from the oppression that has been the case for the last many generations in our ancestry. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that doesn't serve us in a marriage. It actually really hurts our marriage. Yeah. And so when we talk about masculine and feminine energy, it's, it's, um, the feminine is being more in, in being rather than doing, which is masculine. It's flow rather than structure. It's um, a going inward rather than always looking outward. It, it can look more like spirituality and those kinds of things. Um, it can look like a softness, a, a softness of spirit, like a capacity to be in peace or to be with paradox. These are the kinds of things that are a part of our feminine energy. Um, and, and especially being able to receive, to rest, to be open, uh, to play, to choose into sensation and pleasure. These are, um, you know, the characteristics of feminine energy. We're talking about yin and yang. Um, which are principles that have existed forever and don't have anything to do with fingernails or, or vacuums or whatever, right? I know. There's all this association, though, right, yeah. about what that is, is these visible acts wow. that make it feminine, you know, and then it throws people off if they see a man with a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's what's going on. Is that the feminine energy happening right now? Is that what's going on? But it's it's more it's more than that, right? It's the things that are um, spoken, and it's not always just this task. 
it's it's an an essence and i love how you described it. it's it's a way of being wow. and feeling and showing up and that's i think a balance sometimes that we we either feel so aligned with or completely out of whack <laughs> yeah yeah and, right. you know, and everyone is different and, you know, you start to talk about the um, gender um, spectrum and all of that stuff. What I say to all of that is like intuitively, you know what your perfect flow is and it's different all the time, like different seasons and cycles too, different seasons of our lives. Like um, I might be in more feminine energy after a death of a loved one because I'm just in grieving and I'm pulled inward and I'm just all about emotion and stuff where when I'm launching a new um, program in my business, I might dial up my masculine energy more because I'm in leadership and I'm, um, you know, outward. I'm, I'm putting myself out there. I'm in this constant uh, radiation and, and that sort of thing. So, it, uh, and structure, you know, and needing all of those kinds of things. So it's typically what happens is people learn about this. They get a little bit stuck in their head around it. And it's like, do I have the right balance? I've even met energy healers who will like test you to say like, um, you know, test your energy to say, oh, you know, your perfect flow is 60% feminine, 40% masculine or whatever. And I'm like, to me, that's irrelevant because it's going to change all the time. Like what is actually in alignment for you. But understanding the principles and in general, in our fast paced, very masculine energy society, it behooves all of us to tap in and allow some feminine energy to just tap into what's happening from the neck down is a great practice. Like, what am I sensing? What, what feelings do I have? What sensations do I have? Um, is a great place to start. Yeah. Oh, man. We have work to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are, but these are the kinds of things that I think it's so amazing that <clears throat> you can work on these things together, right? Like when you, when you're talking about this in relationship, it's a process of two people learning how to create that balance. And I love that you use the word co-create because you're doing it in partnership. And I think, you know, I want to make sure to point out that I know we've been saying couple, but I do think that this shows up in friendships. I think this shows up in business relationships, how you work with people, because you, you're still um, establishing a sense of trust, vulnerability, honesty, communication. Those are all valid, even if it's a, the nature of the relationship is different. Yeah. So those things that you learn are applicable you know, in both business and in your personal relationships. Absolutely. Plus our state of being like, we can't, um, we can't say enough about that. Like we, because business tends to be such a masculine energy environment. It's like, um, we need more feminine energy. We need more business owners who are willing to turn off their phones at different times and just give space and time for what their heart desires for connection with their family, for getting on the floor and getting all giddy and present with their kids. And, you know, uh, being willing to jump on the trampoline or roll in the mud or whatever it is, or just being out in nature, you 
you know, and um, and really taking in and being present uh, with what's around us. We just need more of that um, of that kind of presence and and really relationships in general fo uh, fostered in feminine energy are more successful. Yeah. Relationships only fostered in masculine energy tend to just have distrust imbued deeply within them because you miss all the nuance, all the emotion, anything that would provide actual connection. This is why a lot of people hate their coworkers. People who love their coworkers, it's because a connection has been fostered. And typically that's from the top down, the corporation sees and values connection and knows that the that the team will thrive better when they are connected so they don't mind when there's like you know extra time spent in the lunch room um you know outside of break times and stuff like that or they don't or they actually foster conversations like that and people in those environments love their co-workers <laughs> so. it's true right it's the stuff that is unstructured it's the hallway conversation it's the water cooler it's that moment that you actually learned about someone's family life that you had not any clue about, right? It's, it's knowing that not only is that person brilliant at what they do, but they're funny and they have interests and hobbies and, you know, talents that you may not have ever known if you didn't take that extra, that extra time with that connection. Melissa, if there was any kind of last thing that you would say to anyone who is hoping to bring more intimacy, you know, or improved intimacy into their relationships, what, what would you, what would you say? Mm, um, you can't go any deeper with another person than you've been willing to go with yourself. Intimacy can be broken down into three words, into me, see. And so we have to be willing to go within us and look for the parts of us that have remained hidden or maybe that we've even shunned away or let die and go in with love and compassion and acceptance and understanding and heal up whatever needs healing. And when we do that, we create a beautiful environment to bring someone else in. Like no one can see me deeper than I can see myself. No one can really hold that space and I can't see deeper into them than I've been willing to see into myself with that same love and compassion and understanding and so my invitation is um, anything even mindset work even some things that call themselves personal development and air quotes that pulls you away from your connection with yourself or invites you to deny parts of you so that you can be in high productivity like let those things go and pursue the things that allow you to move into deeper trust and discovery with yourself. And that's the best place you can start. Oh my gosh, that is so profound. If there was like a clip to replay, just rewind about 60 seconds back. <laughs> the last like two, one to two minutes is amazing. Uh, you know, we talked about the importance of, of my platform being the recognition of self-limiting beliefs that we've had to overcome. What's a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Ooh, what a juicy question. Mm. 
Well, we've already talked a lot about people can't be trusted. So I'll say the other one, which is I'm not enough. Um, and people expect too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so heavy. I've had to work hard on, um, on that one. And, um, you know, initially it was just learning to love myself, yeah. like I just said, but actually that only took me so far. Um, in the last two years I've made or about a year and a half, I've made some new strides with that one. Cause man, you know, even once you do the work, then it's like, okay, well I can see it and I don't have to let it control me, but it still shows up all the friggin' time. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think you're never done. Yeah. No, there's not. And, and, and that's the, I think the mistake that sometimes people make when they first start working on themselves is yeah. thinking like this one course or this one book is going to revolutionize everything. And like, I think it's a, it's a step to opening you up, but I think your minds, it's like going to the gym. If you want to be physically with, you know, your heart having, being healthy, you don't just go to the gym once and then you're done. It's constant. And I think it's even more vital when it's for your, for your mind and your spirit, right? It's like, it's this holistic experience that you're creating and it's, it's never going to just be this one time deal yeah. where, where, you know, you pay nine ninety ninety nine ninety nine, 99 and <laughs> like, it's all, it's, a, woo, it's gone. All my problems. Um, Melissa, where can people find you? Where can they follow your work? Where can they find you if they want to learn more and um, get more from you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a free Facebook group that I run for spiritual high achieving business owners, uh, women. And so if you relate with all of that, come and join us. It's called Women Manifesting Intimacy. And then I also have a free intimacy guide that brings you into my email community as well. And the intimacy guide is great. Takes you through some of those, uh, like I said, beginner steps of uh, creating intimacy with yourself. And um, you can find that at www.melissakeenan.com. Amazing. Well, I will make sure that is in the show notes so people can click directly there and access that great information and also connect with you if they feel so compelled. Is there anything that you want to share before we part today? I feel so uplifted. Mm, just thank you. Thank you so much. And, um, and I would say to, you know, intimacy we all want deeper connection and we all put up walls to deter that deeper connection any step we can take in that direction is so worth it and it blesses every aspect of our lives every time so take the step even if it's scary i know but it's the it's that gift that is so worth it when yep. you when when you choose yourself, fancy that, you know, what happens when we choose to invest in ourselves and pour that love that, you know, and it's, it's everything from the acceptance, the forgiveness, the healing and the love, you know, you have to be able to go through those pieces to appreciate the essence of who you are and who you're becoming. 
It's a beautiful thing. It is scary, but it's so worth it. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much. Wow. What an amazing conversation with Melissa Keenan, intimacy expert on a topic I could spend hours discussing. What I love is the raw realness of her story and and the recognition that relationships are work. Relationships are work whether they're brand new or you're 15, 20, 30 years in. And that critical factor that she brought up in terms of intimacy that changes everything, which is maybe no surprise to you or like she was saying, you don't want to hear, is honesty. Brutal honesty. Ask yourself the question, are you being brutally honest in your relationships? Whether it is your romantic relationship or relationships with your friends, business associates, it is one of those things that truly, as cliche as it sounds, can make or break. You know, make or break a relationship because it's such a foundational element. It's such a building block to, to success. And I would invite you as, as we close this episode on intimacy to start with what Melissa said, which is yourself. And I love how she said into me, I see, right? Get real with yourself in terms of what your desires are. What is it that you truly desire? In all the elements of your life, be brutally honest, starting with yourself. What does that look like in love, in sex, in business, in life? Have you ever done an inventory of your desires. Now, she did it with a professional, with her partner, but I believe we can do that exercise for ourselves without facilitation. And if you wanna step it up and take it to the next level, you certainly can do that um, in a guided way with a professional for yourself and with a partner if that is something uh, you so wish and choose to do. I hope that you learned a thing or two out of this conversation with Melissa and I, whether it was uh, just an evaluation of your own intimacy, thinking about that masculine and feminine energy and how you bring that into balance in your life. I just appreciate the learning. What a great conversation. Remember that you are your only limit. So take action today and stay tuned because there's a lot more awesome episodes coming your way. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Oh, 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 o